Uh, hope you're doing good, enjoying some of the summer weather that's now coming, or at least spring, let's call it. Um, I've certainly been out on a few walks and stuff and enjoying some of that and seeing some great parts of God's nature. Um, today we're going to be continuing with our Second Peter series. I'm in chapter 2. I think this is probably one of the most perplexing uh, passages I've ever had to preach on. I asked Dan and said, so why did you give me this passage? He said, well, I just think, Matthew, you'd be so good at uh, using it to disciple others. So I, I hope I can do that uh, this morning. Um, certainly... Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So here we go. Um, Instead of reading the whole passage, uh, I thought I would focus on some key descriptions, some adjectives, if you like, that Peter uses to describe false teachers, Uh, their teaching, uh, their behavior, and some of the people that they go after. Um, I don't want us to finish today with our notebooks full and knowing lots of kind of historical data, um, but actually that we could apply it to our lives today. What are some of the telltale signs that we could see in our lifetimes? Influencers that are actually uh, peddling false teaching. Uh, How can we create godly environments in the church that make it impossible for such uh, destructive persons to survive? Um, You will be glad to hear that uh, Luke is doing a special um, one-off kind of answers, uh, questions and answers session tonight at eight o'clock. Uh, the, uh, if you want to link into that Zoom, uh, it's all in the newsletter. You can go in there. Um, and he's going to be looking at some of the more complicated parts of this passage, obscure references to Old Testament incidents like Balaam's donkey, angels in chains, Sodom and Gomorrah, and so on. Okay, so if you want to kind of dig deeper in this, then uh, just log on to what he's um, going to be doing tonight. Um, so let's look at this uh, passage uh, in 2 Peter 2 and uh, starting off I want to start with a point of Peter calls um, this the teaching of these false teachers springs without water mists driven by the wind think uh, mirage if you like Um, when I grew up I kind of loved the film um, Lawrence of Arabia just kind of trekking through kind of sand dune after sand dune but kind of parched and then seeing a mirage uh, in the distance and kind of heading for it. Um, so people that are, that are just desperate of dehydrating, they're, they're dehydrating. They see this, what looks like a wonderful oasis lake. Um, it is actually caused by uh, the heat and uh, the sun's rays that make it look like it's shimmering water. Uh, and it's only when they come off the main route, one that they've set and plotted, and they, they head off and they find that actually it is just sand. There is nothing there to quench their thirst whatsoever. Not only are they now really thirsty, um, but also they have now lost their way because they've come off the main route uh, and headed in this direction. Peter says uh, that what these false teachers offer 
is like masquerading of the good news of the hope that is in Christ. Verse 18, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom while they themselves are actually slaves of depravity. It reminds me, uh, I like these kind of nature programs of the deep sea anglerfish. Okay, the deep sea anglerfish uh, is really deep down where it's kind of so dark that the sun doesn't get there. Um, But they have this kind of little light um, that is kind of dangling. And little fish come along, they see the light, anglerfish gobble them up in one go. Um, It's it's like that. Not only are they uh, these false teachers peddling a message that is hollow and without substance, i.e. springs without water. But uh, like the angler fish, they are using this message of false hope to ensnare these vulnerable seekers um, of truth for their own uh, ends, for their own carnal desires. It is really strong stuff. Um, I don't know about you, but I've heard recently about a number of really well-respected teachers, people who I've got kind of bookshelves of their stuff uh, at home. Um, And uh, instead of being honorable, they've been dishonorable and unfaithful towards their wife. Uh, Sadly, over the decades that uh, I've followed Christ, I've seen far too many similar leaders who uh, just uh, I have valued and respected, but then they've fallen in acts of sexual sin and bullying or financial indiscretions. You may find Peter's words for such leaders very severe, and yet it demonstrates just how devastating such indiscretions are to those who put their trust in them. Paul tells his followers to imitate me in 1 Corinthians 4.16. There is that sense that it's not just the message, but it's also I'm trusting the messenger. I'm actually following the how this man or woman lives out the truth that they're preaching in their own lives. I need to see it demonstrated so I can follow that demonstration in my own life. Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. See, it's not just Peter who reserves the strongest judgment for false teachers. Much of the Gospels are taken up with Jesus's reprimands of false teachers, of religious teachers, of God's people that lay heavy burdens on his people and stood against recognizing him as the Messiah. Far, far more, in fact, than about any of the heathen political powers of Rome. Secondly, there are what Peter calls, they are slaves of depravity. They are blots and blemishes, verse 13. With eyes full of adultery, they seduce the unstable and never stop sinning. Notice who they go after, the unstable. Though we should be angry, just as Peter is angry, when we hear of similar well-respected Christian leaders who use their power or financial wealth to uh, seduce those people that are looking for hope 
only to find that they are taken advantage of in all sorts of ways. Do you know what Peter says about them? He says, verse 20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. They are like, Peter says, a dog that returns to his vomit. What does that mean? It means that they were in the world, they were entangled with their own sin and its consequences, the mess in their life. But then they received this wonderful hope of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, having the grace to be able to say no to unrighteousness, a life with Christ for eternity, at peace in the community of believers, and then making a conscious choice to return to your vomit, to go back to the same reprobate life that you had before. It's actually much worse because then you are taking other people with you. You are stumbling them against Christ when you knew so much better. We need some light here, though. Uh, What can we learn so we don't get ensnared ourselves or become guilty ourselves? We need to be warned that people can be very deceptive and convincing. Uh, What they say on the outside might not be what is really going on on the inside. That's why God has given us the pattern of the local church, local community of believers, uh, where we are able to see the lives of those that are leading us uh, in all its uh, vulnerability. How are they really with their wife and their children? Uh, There needs to be a certain transparency. So anyone, anyone in the church can see uh, if you are meeting somebody uh, in a local restaurant or cafe, uh, just who that is and how that is. Let's face it, um, I can't really tell, you can't really tell what the life of that leader that you're listening to on video, podcast or reading their latest paperback, how it really is. You can't really tell if what they are saying, what their message is, whether they are actually living that out. So what does this tell us? It tells us that we need to put more uh, confidence, a, a greater amount of trust in those that are part of our local church in terms of leading us, uh, that we can genuinely follow their, the model of their lives. I think and even in my lifetime, there's been a huge shift away from uh, just basically focusing on the leaders that are part of my local church, that I can see their life, I can, my kids are playing with their kids, I can invite them around for meals, I can see what they're really like, I can see them in that way. Whereas today, it's so easy to actually connect up with people that are in other 
countries across the pond uh, and listen to what they're saying and actually have no real knowledge of whether they are really living it out or not. It's quite detached, in fact. The second thing that I think we need to learn is that um, we just need to have a really high bar in terms of integrity. It's important that we rigorously hold to codes of conduct. Um, Be so careful about just meeting somebody on your own. If there's at all possible, meet in a group, meet with somebody else as well. If I'm counselling somebody, I most of the time would try and have my wife present with me or somebody else to help that uh, because counselling can get very emotional. Boundaries can be crossed very easily. The Bible says, be above reproach, which means not to give any hint or anything, any little flap that could actually open up, that could enable somebody to be stumbled. The more people you lead, the greater the damage if you fall. Thirdly, we need to create a modus operandi, an environment, if you like, within the church that encourages openness and honesty rather than being covert and hidden. I think sin is a bit like growing mushrooms. Both grow better in the dark. We need to put mechanisms actually in place that purposely brings to light uh, those things. It allows saying, I want I want to allow you to see my internet history. I want to show you what films I'm downloading from the internet. As much as possible, don't do things just in solo. Peter says in the same passage, people are slaves of whatever has mastered them. Let others speak into your life. Create a discipleship environment where you're saying, I welcome what you've got to say. If you see me getting close to that person or forming some links in a way that I shouldn't be, please speak in. Please don't just kind of ignore that. I'm welcoming it to actually welcoming comment into my life. For us to be healthy, mature Christians that don't harm people, we need to have those kind of environments. And then fourthly and finally, there is a greater weight on teachers in particular in the Bible to be diligent in studying the word of God, making sure that what you are teaching really is what the Bible is saying, that you aren't just peddling a, uh, a hope that is like mists driven in the wind. People may want to hear a gospel that promises them riches in this life, that guarantees that their terminally ill mother will be healed, that says that if you are single, you will be, get married, that says if you are married, that you will have children of your own. But frankly, that just those promises are not there in Scripture. Now, 
Jesus may, in his grace, come and give you all those things. But there are no guarantees. It offers a false hope, a false foundation, and therefore it's actually corrosive and highly dangerous. Let's remember what is the true hope that is in the gospel. We can know for certain that uh, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. All your sins will be forgiven. You can know the Holy Spirit living within you day to day, enabling you and helping you. You can know that you will be raised to life. That actually there is a certain hope that we will be with Christ for all eternity and with his church. There are some wonderful hopes. Let's make sure that we are preaching what the Bible says and not just what people want to hear. Let me leave you with three things. Keep it biblical. Keep it relational. Keep it pure. Keep it biblical. Keep it relational. Keep it pure. Amen. God bless you.